Welcome back to the Cock and Ball Podcast, the weekly look at all things Spurs and the time it takes you to walk from Seven Sisters to White Hart Lane. Uh, you can follow us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at Cock and Ball underscore pod. I'm Tom, aka Fen. Uh, I'm your referendum that kickstarts this podcast. Uh, and with me today is a bumbling buffoon delivering a better deal for a better Britain whilst inspiring Italy's own separation. It's Ash. <laughs> good evening, gents. How are we? Oh, good, thank you. And uh, also with him tonight is a French leader trying to take British fish from the mouths of British children. It's Jules. <laughs> Bonsoir. Au revoir, le poisson. Uh, and keeping everything together uh, to broker deals and to keep us within the law is our chief negotiator, it's Jim. Guten Tag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we lads, we will have a good Christmas. Crapping time. Yeah, very nice. nice. As good as it could be, yeah. Mm, have we all ballooned comfortably in self-isolation? <laughs> yeah, looking forward to going back to tearful misery in a week's time. <laughs> I'm, I'm eating in full knowledge that my football season is not restarting so as far as I'm concerned it's bulk season for the foreseeable future <laughs> bulk season, I wish that's I could blame well if you can cast your minds back to before Christmas um, to a time of the League Cup quarter final against Stoke uh, we saw a heavily rotated Spurs side take on what was essentially Stoke's B team and we won uh, it was fairly routine wasn't it Ash yeah not bad uh, we, we started pretty well to be fair and then um, Fletcher came on, and despite looking like Jesus on ketamine, he gave us a lot of problems. <laughs> um, he was actually a bit physical, which our defenders apparently didn't like. But other than that, you know, we saw some good quality touches from Bale. Wink started to like his, his old self. Um, I was really impressed with Ali, actually, despite what Jose Mourinho said about him after the game. But he generally was leading the press. Uh, he was our only creative outlet as well. So... There's a lot of good coming out of the game, I thought. Yeah, interesting with that Ali situation, because I, I agree, I, I thought he was best player on the park um, mm. myself, and then he gets thoroughly <laughs> kind of um, annihilated by his manager for attempting the kind of flick which leads to goals or goal-scoring opportunities. <laughs> and apparently it's not the fault of the, like, the, <laughs> the other five players who are in between the ball and the goal at the moment of that happening. Um, it all needs to be Daddy's fault. I just think Jose only wants James to deal with his own, his own terms. Like Bale scores, starts building a bit of confidence, and then he's like, "Nah, mate, can't be having that. You're off." <laughs> <laughs> Deli Ali starts playing well. He's like, "No, nah, we can't have him playing his way back into the team. Off your part." He's just getting a bit silly, isn't it? I think Bale, though, as much as he scored the goal, he does just look to me more and more like a kind of. He's just a, he he just doesn't have the movement anymore, does he? Like when he's got the ball with him, he looks good, but he just doesn't have the ability to get around the pitch, the acceleration, the pace. He, he's very static. Um, I don't know if that's maybe he gets away with that. He, he was getting away with that more in Spain because maybe the pace of the foot was a little slower. But it seems very noticeable to me that he just doesn't have the the same amount of movement and energy. Remember when he came back and we had that conversation about what kind of player he would be? Mm. Um the thing in his defence is that he's not played a lot of football, really, mm. for a very long time. So I guess it's kind of natural that he's a little bit out of um, out of form and out of fitness, I suppose. Uh, maybe I'm being unfair, but I just get the sense he doesn't really care that he's not in great shape. Like He just doesn't seem that bothered that he gets on that every now and again, 
does all right, comes off, collects his pay packet and goes home and plays around a golf. And I don't know, just seems to me when you look at players of his his kind of profile and age, I can think of a lot of others that just seem hungrier to do better, I guess. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think he's happy to be back in England and to be back at a club he knows and an environment he knows. But I don't think he's necessarily suddenly you know, more enthused about the prospect of playing mm. football and playing matches. He's sort of, it's like, oh, nice, I can I can do my shopping and speak to people in English. I don't have to. <laughs> That's like sort of the boost, is that he's not being passive-aggressively taken, taken apart by the media every day. But it doesn't mean that he's suddenly rediscovered a love of the game. He's still the same mercenary figure who I think now is just kind of seeing out his football career until he mm. can play golf. I, I do think he wants to be doing better than he is, and what you mentioned about his his shape and he's not he's not out of shape. He's it's match sharpness that's letting him down. I think he could go on and play a lot more minutes than, than we've seen of him. He can certainly do more than the 45, 60 minutes that he's been given. I reckon. It, it, I, I think. Do you think that's... he's got the hunger though? That's what I mean. I mean, look at look at like for example, the natural uh, comparison is is Jamie Vardy, who is somebody who is nowhere near as talented as Gareth Bale and never has been. He's two years older, he's sharper, he's fitter, he seems to want to play football more. And I would bet that he will carry on playing at the highest level longer than Gareth Bale will. Yeah, but that's all the um, the Red Bulls and Gavin <laughs> <laughs> That will give you the hunger and desire. Skizzle vodka, Skizzle vodka does mad things to a body. <laughs> Speaking well, that's what Bale should go to uh, Leipzig then. Uh, and get some sort of sponsorship deal there just to get him off his tits <laughs> and actually bombing down the wing. Good for Bale to get a goal. I can put Bud Luxor, he does have a calf strain. So if he has been pulled off at half time for that, then fair enough. But it is concerning. So basically, Fan, you thought routine win, good for Bale to get a goal. Um, I mean, Davies coming up with a bit of a screamer. That's quite impressive. That. Yeah, I've, I think what bothered me about Davies, well, firstly, when he, the ball set up for him, I literally shouted, don't. <laughs> As you can see, he was setting up to shoot. And fair play, he took it really well. But I think what bothers me about the goal is not the goal itself, but it's the treatment of Ali. And obviously the the criticism from Jose uh, is that Ali lost the ball, which ultimately led to the goal, despite not blaming Doherty being nowhere near the right defensive line and Davidson Sanchez being sort of one of the Davies, <laughs> There's no assist for the Davies goal because... There was a loose flick into the box. Stoke half cleared it. Davies picked it up and kicked it in the goal. So yeah, I, surely whoever lost the ball before the Davies goal also needs the same criticism if you're going down that Jose route. And that, that's why I think it doesn't sit that well with me. We might have scored three goals, but I don't feel like we have a discernible pattern of play in terms of how to approach goal, how to try and score goals. It's like you sort of, you put decent attacking players on the pitch and you kind of assume that someone at some point is going to do something but we don't have a kind of a, a way of approaching the goal all of our goals are kind of just disparate half chances where if you put good players in front of it some will go in yeah I think I'll come on to it a bit more when we talk about Wolves but I, that that is a big issue for us and that's one of the problems why we can't play without Kane or Son when we when we're relying on the quality of one or two individuals to produce some magic rather than have any sort of plan for attack it's always going to be difficult to break down teams that want to defend no matter what no matter what league they're in or or who's expected to win or, or otherwise interesting draw though isn't it ending up with Brentford in the semis and I guess with the League Cup 
most people tend to be a little bit sniffy about it until you get to the latter stages and once you get to the semis you're like well actually this is all right it's a decent chance to get a bit of silverware even if it is the probably the least prestigious bit of proper silverware um but a sense of this is that actually getting brentford who are another championship side probably wasn't the best crew i think you'd probably rather get united if we're being honest but it's a bit of a banana skin isn't it well, I said that yeah. about Stoke, and um, <laughs> in fairness to, I know they didn't really have any of their first team available, and what their fifth, sixth choice goalkeeper. Um, we we still kind of walked away with it. Brentford, yeah, they're a good, they're a good side. They can they can rally well. Um, Thomas Frank is a little bit of a disturbing man just to watch, but he's clearly got quite he a good is plan. Very going on strange. There. Um, mm-hmm. We have a strange habit, and long may it continue, of drawing the lowest-ranked team in the draw. Um, so I'm quite happy with that. It does give us quite a good opportunity. I, I would rather avoid a Manchester team at this stage. They're single-legged ties, aren't they, for the semi-finals now? They they used to, they're not home and away, yeah. which I miss because the last one I went to, uh, I was in, with Jules and it snowed in uh, Bramall Lane. In other news, uh, Christmas has come. We've all had some cheeky presents. But I also noticed that... Um, Budweiser were giving out some other cheeky presents to certain <laughs> footballers this year. Uh, Jules, you, you, you run marketing. Just what people do with you? Uh, it's not, but when I saw it, I was absolutely delighted. I like how different goalkeepers took it very differently because <laughs> Buffon took it with a lot of grace. Kepper, I think, was just delighted to be actually have, have caught something and held on to it for once. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then I think it was Neuer who sent back eight bottles in return in reference to the old 8-2, which is a, a, a bit of a slap in the face, but I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of time for it. Um, for clarity, this is goals that Messi has scored and goalkeepers that he has scored against. I, th- I think the funny one I was thinking, though, Fem, we were talking about what, if, what, what, what would Kane send to people if Kane hits, you know, maybe most goals ever for in the Premier League. And I came up with three suggestions in kind of escalating order. A Kane bobblehead would be quite funny because if they put that on their car window, he does look kind of, I don't know, like he kind of wobbles his head a bit as he, <laughs> as he just goes about his business. Second would be like a cane in a box, you know, like a jack in a box, but have it so it springs out of the poor goalkeeper as he, as he comes away from his present. The third, which I'm, I think might be a bit offensive, but I think would probably get the most traction if I was the marketing manager. You, do, did you ever see that speak out game? The thing that you got to like put in your mouth and you got to yes. try and read the words aloud through? Yeah. It would be kind of fun. Jesus. Send that out. <laughs> <laughs> With a little Harry Kane recording, you got to read out Harry Kane quotes about how it's all about the team at the end of the day. I, know, I think that could be fun, but maybe it's a bit mean. You might be onto something when, you know, in. Players who are all media trained and they just come out with the most banal sentences when they've scored an absolute worldie or produced a little bit of magic and then they just come out with the same kind of trite things about, oh, the team's most important, just glad we've got the three points, <laughs> we're on to the next game. Maybe like Harry Kane does break that record or you get a goalkeeper that's got the most clean sheets in the season or anything like that, rather than getting plaudits, everybody, like pundits and managers and everybody should just go, well, yeah, but the team's more important though, isn't it? So thanks, Harry. On play, to the next play. one. Play their own trick back on them is basically what we're <laughs> No, I suggest that Harry Kane should go up to um, all the goalkeepers' doors and when they answer it, just do that weird backing in thing that he does. <laughs> 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 well, following Christmas and uh, your Harry Kane Christmas gifts, um, we did have a Boxing Day affair uh, at Molyneux 
Uh, Roman showed that size matters with a late equaliser following Tangai's strike within 37 seconds. The game was followed by, by a lot of armchair pundits around the world, including us, um, <laughs> lauding the lack of attacking talent uh, that we had in the second half. Um, Jose got a lot of criticism for this in particular. Do you think this backlash against him is fair, Jim? Yes, I do, actually. Um, but I, I said to Jules after this game, he, he digs out his players for not doing what he tells them to do. But when they do do what he tells them to do, it isn't particularly working well anyway. Do you buy, Jim, the argument that I've seen a couple of people say, which is that it's not Jose's fault because if he has told them to go out and play more progressively, which he claims that he did, should these mm. players, do these players need such kind of like in-depth instructions in the way that maybe Antonio Conte or Klopp or Guardiola would give? Or is it enough just to say, look, you're all talented players, go and go and play a bit more? Both, I think. Because, yes, it is up to the players to kind of take command of their own game. And players at the top level should have both the ability, technically, and the kind of uh, mental application to know that they're not quite doing enough in a game and be able to lift themselves and motivate themselves. Uh, but equally, I always think the sign of a good manager is whether a team is greater than the sum of its parts or not. Um, and one of the one of the best things I've heard from uh, coaching the game is the phrase "without technique, there's no tactics," which is meant to mean that a manager can tell a player or a set of players to play in a particular way and follow a certain system of play. But unless they apply themselves properly, it all goes to part anyway. Now, in this case, I'm not sure I buy that Mourinho told them to go out and be more progressive because Mourinho has never, ever, ever had teams that go out and play progressively. And this is a bunch of players that were largely at Spurs three years ago when they played some of the most attractive football in the country. There were a few performances that I think were probably a bit flat against Wolves, but um, to me it did feel like Mourinho trying to deflect criticism away from himself for, for essentially taking the lead in the first minute of the game and spending the next 89 trying to sit on it. It's n- he's not the first Tottenham manager over the last previous years to come out with a comment like that. I can't think maybe it was after one of the Dortmund games. Um, but Pochettino did come out on a couple of occasions and again say, that's not how I ask my boys to play. So to some degree, I, I, I can see how um, it, it sort of turned in a way that Jose didn't expect. But at the same time, we were putting two or three men on Adama whenever, you know, throughout the whole game, whether he had, he had the ball or not. And we were trying to track the Dense as well, and Neto was appearing all over the place. So I think having the instruction of we need to double up on X player and Y player doesn't commute well with we also need to commit men forward. You can't do both at the same time. I think it comes back to Jim's point earlier. This, this squad of players... It is, it is almost impossible for them to finish below, say, eighth, right? Like, like they just based purely on the talent in that squad, you put them out for 38 matches in a season, they're probably going to win 15 of their own accord. So the difference, that for me, the measure, the measure of a manager is, well, how many more are you winning than, like, your base just on the ability of who you've got in your team? We are not attacking with any... that There is nothing being constructed or improved in that team performance by the coach in an attacking sense. On a slightly more positive note, I think we all seem to be, well, a lot of people seem to be forgetting the start we had last season. 
I mean, so far this season, we've conceded on average one goal a game, so that's, that's 15 goals. At this stage last season, we'd already conceded 23. So we were we were leaking goals like no tomorrow when Jose came in. So I can see why he's trying to um, trying to shore up the defence, knowing that we have the quality of plays and attack to go and finish the game. It, perhaps it maybe it's just form. It might just be that our players um, around Kane and are lacking confidence to join the attack. But I can, what I, what I can see what he's trying to do. You know, that was the, the glaring issue when he arrived was we were conceding too many goals. I think it's very hard, right, to tell your players to, to ask them to switch between dramatically different styles of football. Right? I think it's very hard to tell them, oh, you just played 30 minutes in a low block. Now I want you to go do X, Y, Z. I think, and particularly with the impact that COVID's had on the season, the lack of pre-season, etc., like the teams which rely most on tactical drilling are are having the biggest issues this year. Mm. The reality is, is that having those good players on the pitch, if you ask them to spend 60, 70 minutes of a match sat in their own defensive third, just shuffling across and winning 50-50s, when they do get the chance to have the ball, they're not in the, the sort of the muscle memory and the, 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 the habits of how to attack aren't there. The only attack that we seem to have is breaking away Kane playing a decisive pass. We, there was a little disagreement in the group chat before, and although Tom was on my side, where um, you, Jim, and Jules were saying that that goal was coming. However, we weren't conceding chances. So in that sense, it, it wasn't coming. We, we had them at, at arm's length the whole, the whole time. And unfortunately, a set piece can undo you at any time. I'd argue that's not arm's length. I'd argue that's like within if, if, you're, if you're going for the boxing analogy right they're within they're within your range if it's one nil one hit and they do knock you over whereas two nil then they're outside of your range like i think that's the difference between good the reason good teams always want to create that two goal cushion is in case of exactly that we've lost i think 10 points from leading positions this year which is the most in the prem we've dropped points against newcastle west ham crystal palace uh, Liverpool late and now here. I did see on uh, Twitter at half time in yesterday's game somebody uh, commented just saying this game feels like Crystal Palace all over again and I just sort of stored it somewhere in the back of my brain. <laughs> it's one of, one of those where you do that shithouse thing where like if it doesn't come off you just forget it ever happened. Whereas <laughs> <laughs> if it does you're like ding! Um, but yeah no I mean look there's that thing you said Jules about killing a game off and that's absolutely right that at any point in football is fundamentally a game of chance and you can uh, you can get a penalty or a free kick or a corner or anything that can undo you um i was thinking last night about why you got me thinking actually about whether i was just wrong to think uh, that the goal has been coming um which is not unheard of i usually am i was thinking about it and i, th- I thought what what differentiates the best teams from uh, weaker teams and to me it's a combination of fitness space and speed and all the best systems that have dominated over the last 15 years or so whether it's tiki taka or gagan pressing or whatever it is use a combination of those three things to assert dominance and i just think when you play with a low block the risk that you take is that you concede so much space that you're then relying on those other two facets to get you out of a hole when you get into one. Forget the winning part. Ash, did you enjoy watching that match? 
it's absolutely not the style of football I want to see Tottenham playing. Absolutely okay, not. Okay. However, so, that's that's, so that's mute, isn't did, it? Well, but okay, but it depends. But if we're watching football for the pleasure, which is certainly what I watch it for, I didn't enjoy it. You didn't enjoy it. No, Fenn, I can't enjoy it. Yeah, but we've had this conversation before, and we're just going to go around <laughs> in circles again. That it, it comes down to basic personal philosophical approaches, and it's yeah. okay for people to be different because football has shown that it has evolved as a game, and it will continue to evolve you sort of see different fashions of, of play it, it's kind of that these sorts of discussions are essentially about fashion none of us were or anyone who's talking about uh jose knows what happened at half time so we're just going to have to take his word for it quite frankly on the basis that we've got nothing else to go on ultimately i said it in the last part without jimenez wolves are a bit of a blunt instrument son and kane didn't turn up against wolves and we were also a blunt instrument and for me, that was the key as to why we weren't able to get more of an attacking impression on the game. Because we did actually press fairly well. Fairly well, mm. like the front four did. But when they tried to go over the top of that press, they were just winning every second ball in midfield. The next answer is to change the system. Go with three in midfield so that there's less of a responsibility on his shoulders to do as much defending. Have mm. Hoiberg actually holding and have the Chelsea mm. and the Ballet as, as the double pivots. You know, there's there's other there's ways around it where we can have some element of control in the midfield without just kicking it and and surrendering position uh, possession every time we get the ball back. Yeah, I would agree with that, and I think you have to just kind of accept that Spurs quite regularly will play with a low block because that's what the coach wants them to do. Uh, but what would make a difference is being able to have a reliable. Plan B that allows you to switch into it quite quickly. And when you're 55, 60 minutes into a game and it's not going to plan, you go, right, OK, we're going to change things up. Yeah, so January's coming. And I mentioned that I'd like to see a midfielder in to solve what I see as a glaring issue. Jules, is there any other position you think that needs uh, you need urgent attention or is it more about clearing the wood for you? I would like us to bring in a right midfielder or right winger. Because I think at the moment we're so heavily slanted on the left. Um, you know, none of Mora, Bergwijn um, or even Jack uh, uh, Jack Clark, have, have kind of, when he has played, have really... No one's really kind of stomped their authority on that position and been a regular option. In an ideal world, um, as well as what Ash says, and yeah, I totally get you, Jules. I also think a right back. Just keep, it, keep it simple, I just think... It, We've already got two of them. We can't yeah. we can't do this. We're you not can't. Chelsea. We're not stockpiling them. I swear to God. You don't have it's to stop them in January, is it? You don't have to stockpile them. You just need better quality, I think. So so what, would you sell one of the, our best performers from the first half of the season or would you sell the guy we bought in August? Mm, I'm I feeling would, sassy. Uh, <laughs> I would recruit better in the first place. <laughs> we had some and that's an even sassier response. Unbelievable. <laughs> Ultimately, that level of business ain't going to happen in January. That's what no, we need to be fairly true. realistic mm. about this. Uh, to, to overhaul positions is only ever going to happen in the summer. And I don't disagree that both right-backs need to be sold. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> that that is a long-term problem that we have yeah. never, ever really found a solution since sort of peak Carl Walker, really. Yeah, but I think some sort of Sizoko, um upgrade, essentially, is, is what we're looking at. We should also be looking at, from a business point of view, Sissoko is you know, he's plus 30 now, isn't he? He's 30, 31. Um, 
stuff, even players like Lomelo, he's great when he comes in, but he's very rarely fit. And I think he's into the last 18 months of his contract. Mm. Um, yeah, someone so really would biz- have him. Oh, yeah, he's tasting him back to Roma. Because uh, he's a perfect replacement for Zaniolo, who was his replacement, but Zaniolo hasn't got any knees and the man hasn't got any hips. But between them, you might be able to cobble some sort of Frankenstein electric footballer together. You know, um, th- th- there's a few kind of players around Europe who are, we're supposed to be interested in, like Zachariah, who's playing in Germany, he's very good. Uh, Sumare in France looks excellent. But I. I, I also think, think Fen, you're maybe aiming a little low if you think that we really won't do much because Levy in the last few years has made some interesting January moves. Bergwijn and Mora, both January moves. The market's Something... a different place, though. It's weird at the moment. And he did well in uh, the summer because he took advantage of a situation by being the only club who was willing to really spend a great deal. But it come January, everyone wants to keep their cards quite close to their chest because... Mm they don't know yeah. what they could realistically bring in because I can't really see a great deal of movement in this window. It, it is a funny market, but something to bear in mind is that, uh, particularly in France, and my, my knowledge of the French league is probably weakest of the major European league, so I haven't got any names to hand, but they may or may not be aware that the broadcasting deal for Ligue 1 has collapsed mm. uh, because they... they sign this ridiculous contract with a company that never had the money in the first place, uh, which essentially means that there is a huge, like multi hundreds of millions of euros black hole in French football's finances. And a lot of clubs in Liga are absolutely desperate for money. Uh, So I would think that there will be some, possibly some rough diamonds and some players that aren't quite there that, that are maybe for kind of, 18 months, two years down the line that a lot of Premier League clubs will be looking at to, to get a bit of a bargain. That's spot on. Um, the reality is with the finances that the deal they're now having uh, put together is with established players who are offering a significantly lower fee. So their their, their broadcasting revenue is, is through the floor. Lille are doing fantastically well. Their chairman said that they're not going to sell to the summer because PSG being a bit crap this year means that there's kind of a weird opportunity for someone to to maybe mm. kind of <laughs> pop their head above the parapet and actually win win the title. So I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if Lille hold on to their talent, Leon the same, because they're on kind of, you know, can we get, get, get a good run together before May and somehow get the title? Um, but yeah, I think that division certainly has some uh, some interesting players. On the topic of French football, I feel like we should do a nod as well to uh, Poch taking over at PSG. Mm. Fan, how do you feel about that? I just don't care anymore. <laughs> this is, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we are romantically attached to him to some degree, as in, do you remember those days? They were nice. Mm. But at the same time, we don't own him. He's not ours. I'm still rereading the love letters like with a box of tissues and watching YouTube compilations, right? That, that's where I am in this, <laughs> in, this in this breakup. I don't know. I've, I feel um, oddly kind of... I really hope it does well um, in terms of... I, I was a big fan of Poch as a manager. However, I'm not a fan of PSG as a club and in particular their their ownership. So I feel like there's a weird kind of blend there where I sort of want to see him do well and, and at the same time don't. I'm happy he's in well, another league. And that we're no yeah. longer paying, you don't have to pay his wages anymore. That's it. That's what it means to me now. Those days are gone. So I would say that as a collective group, 
we're in denial. You, you've, you've probably, <laughs> I was going to say, you're probably transitioning from denial towards acceptance, but you're all at different stages of that process. Yeah, I mean, Jules is still having like, guilty wanks over that Champions League <laughs> Cup run. So, yeah, there's, there's varying degrees of it on this podcast, but uh, let's skip past that and look to the future. Let's forget about the past. Um, we've got Fulham on Wednesday. Um, Normally, you'd say we'd walk all over them, but they're, they're, they seem to be building a bit better under Scott Parker. They seem to have a, a bit more structure now, and I don't know how to feel about it. Yeah, well, they've, I think they've built, basically, they've built a whole new team since their terrible start. So they've brought in two centre-backs that can actually <laughs> defend. Um, Lamina and Zembo and Gisa is a decent Premier League standard centre-midfield partnership. Uh, Ruben off to cheat coming in, and Lookman coming in with a bit of quality in the final third. So... I'm sure Jose is going to be kicking every single one of those players up the arse. So I'd, I'd expect us to to do the job. Um, they're going to be really, really up for it. So we're going to have to have to kind of be on our game. That might yeah. suit us, I think. If they they, they start pressing for a win, uh, that quite often opens up space that, that we're quite good at taking advantage of. Mm. But it's it's going to be about being disciplined and being clinical because all their results tend to be quite tight in terms of scoreline. The only time they've lost, apart from the very start of the season, the only time they've lost by more than one goal uh, was against City at the Etihad. So, um, so I think it's going to be a case of when that chance comes, take it. Particularly because actually the the kind of the space to attack behind that Fulham team is behind the fullbacks who are actually. Okay, going forward, but are not really very strong defensively, and they do push on quite high. So you would think that this is a perfect game for for Son and maybe Bergvine to play in those attacking wide areas, but um, it'll be a tough one for sure. Yeah, it leads us to following fixture. Uh, they, yeah, they're, they're a fantastic team to watch. Obviously, the school of Bielsa is something we're well acquainted to, but. There's a lot of gaps to, to be had there. I'd like to think we'd, we're still fairly hopeful about both of these fixtures, really. Yeah, fun to lead are fun to watch and seemingly even more fun to play against because they just they leave themselves open. But I'm really looking forward to that game, particularly because I don't have a dog in the race. Um, the Leeds game will be fascinating because it, it feels like the two opposite ends of the scale, like the ultimate anti-football master in Mourinho and the ultimate Puritan kind of, I will play my way at all costs. In it's Bielsa. all about science, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and it's, it's fascinating to see how those two are going to come up against each other. Cause it, it makes you think the only way this game isn't going to be like just impossible to play is by both of them <laughs> in some sense compromising. And that should make it a really interesting competitive game. So, um, so I'm looking forward to that one. I think they play perfectly to, you know, to set up for us. We should be able to exploit those holes. Uh, before we go, this, I just want to leave it on a positive note from my side. The, you know, we're just still what three points off second. Games are coming thick and fast. By the end of the month, who knows where we can be? So, yeah, there's no need to despair just yet. There's there's a long way to go. And we can still get in and amongst, the, you know, the top four challenge. Score predictions. I reckon we'll do Fulham two uh, one and Leeds three one. Kills. I'm sorry, lads. I think we're going to draw one all with Fulham, and then I think we're going to lose two one against Leeds. Wow. 
<laughs> that's, that's bleak. <laughs> Jules is on a downer. Jules is uh, just backing his own philosophy and football. He, that's all that's going on. And he's he's run out of cheese through. and wine. <laughs> <laughs> per rules of the podcast, am I allowed to agree with a scoreline? Yes, I think because I do. I also I do agree that it would be one all against Fulham, but I think I'm going to stick my neck out and go four one Spurs for Leeds. Ooh. Yeah, that, that's a mixture of a boring guess and a, a really not boring guess. <laughs> uh, I'm going to remain fairly positive, uh, partly because I've had two beers. I think we'll beat Fulham 2-0. I think we'll, we'll definitely get a clean sheet out of one of these fixtures. Uh, Leeds, different kettle of fish, always seems to be high scoring. That said, their last game wasn't, um, but that was Burnley. Although we are just a better Burnley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm going to match that scoreline then. One nil Spurs. Okay. Mm. Right. I think we'll leave it there. Let's look forward to a, a better New Year Spurs. Let's hope so. Anyway, uh, 2020 certainly couldn't get worse. Thanks for all listening, and we'll see you next time.